Hey everybody, this is Ray Patelsh, and this is episode 72 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is having a great week out there. It's Thursday, it's time for our movie discussion, and we've got a great one this week. Uh, This week we are discussing Who Framed Roger Rabbit from 1988, Uh, This is not the first time that the movie was picked for the podcast, which is something I do mention in the episode, Uh, but it is a first uh, in having two guests. I talked about this on Monday's Beyond the Screens, but uh, we have a duo of guests this time. Both of them appeared previously on the podcast. Hem Cleveland from The Lucky Die uh, appeared a while ago with the pick of Beauty and the Beast, which has actually hit the top 10 of Have Not Seen This Episodes. And then shortly thereafter, Ithor from The Lucky Die also appeared. Uh, and he and I talked about Stardust. And uh, when I put the call out a couple of weeks ago that I was, you know, really hard up for episodes and needed some people to appear quickly, uh, Hem suggested the two of them appear. And here they are. This was a lot of fun having more than one guest. Um, not probably something I would do on a regular basis, but um, because of the dynamic that they have and because of having both of them on the show previously, I think this worked out really well. So let's go ahead and get into it with uh, 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit and a great conversation with uh, two of the cast members of The Lucky Die. So I, my podcast time has been significantly reduced. So I have to confess I've, I've fallen behind on The Lucky Die. How are things going? Uh... Intense. Intense. (laughs) V has stepped up her game. Uh, yeah, uh, no, Ham uh, stepped up her game. Things have uh, advanced in the main plot uh, quite heavily. And outside of recording, we just had one of the bigger bombshells dropped on us recently. Uh, and it was completely un... I think the phrase I'm looking for is telegraphed. Like, yes. it came out of just nowhere. Like, we had no yep. chance to know that was coming. Yeah. it's It's been going great. <laughs> I was going to say, and and the the listeners can't see him just sitting here with the biggest smile on her face. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those, those like uh, Mr. Burns, like uh, pictures where he has like his fingers, uh, fingers uh, steeped in front of his face. That is me when I, when I did some of the shit. So yeah, this is, (laughs) this is me for some of the shit that I drop on them. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed listening. I just have fallen behind lately. So I've got it. I get it. I like up. barely managed to keep up with any podcast. My my new focus is to get one podcast caught up per year. Like that's as much as I can make myself do right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've given up on podcasts. They just don't do it for my brain anymore. So I'm I'm just like I've got YouTube Let's Plays going in the background and shit like that. That seems to do it for me. <laughs> well, that's I, I've and I've discovered. Um, I discovered several years ago when I was doing my old podcast that you. The, it's really a fine line when you're producing your own podcast because if you are focusing on your podcast, you don't have time to listen to others. Mm-hmm. But listening to others helps you come up with ideas or see what maybe you you should be doing better or that kind of stuff. So it's this fine line between creating and consuming that podcasters Absolutely. need to walk. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I've I've heard a, I heard a few people um, basically say what they have to do is take a month off of production, just take it off and just consume stuff. That's mm-hmm. not like not writing plot, not thinking plot, not creating, not editing, none of that shit. Just consume for like a solid month, and it does good things to your brain to reset as well. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I just accidentally take months off 
<laughs> for no reason. <laughs> uh, feel you there. Feel you there. I had my <clears throat> second COVID shot uh, last Wednesday, and I took Fantastic. three days off off uh, without my own permission. Just my body just <laughs> shut down. Oh, so you had a bad reaction to it? Yeah, we had a, 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 a AMA till uh, til the AMA yesterday, uh-huh. and I literally could not deal with any outside sound. It would shut me down. I, I I'd be talking, and then Cam would do something on the other side, and I just stop. Just I I. I <laughs> Like it just, like my ears overwrote my mouth. It was just over. It was, just, it was you, you awful. You know that like that like heavy car braking sound. It was like that every time. It was it was unreal to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm over it. That and that was the third day after the shot. Yeah. Like wow, that was rough. Yeah, I've I've heard people taken out for a day. Like I was told when I got my second one to kind of not plan anything for the next forty eight hours. Yeah, and I had a mild reaction to it, so I I pretty much lost like a day. Yeah, so three days is like I, I guess you were making up the balance for my one day, so it averages two, <laughs> two days. I'm, I'm hoping he's taking my extra day as well. Like uh, I'm oh, hoping I, to I, have I, my second one on Wednesday, fingers crossed. So I'm hoping you get my extra day as well, Ethel. I, I I absolutely hope that's the case. I hope I hope to God you don't have to go through the shit I just went through. <laughs> So I I should note, this is the first time on the podcast that I've had more than one guest uh, at the same time. Uh, And you two are are a perfect pick for that. I love that that Hem (laughs) suggested that. Uh, I I do have to give credit, though. This is not the first time this idea was pitched to me. Uh, It was originally pitched by uh, Alex uh, Kunkka because I had had both him and his brother on the show separately. And Alex suggested, well, why don't you have both of us on? And he had even picked a movie and then it just kind of... Uh, when he first suggested, I was like, eh, no, I just want to stick with the one guest. I, I'm happy with the way things go. And then I thought about it. And I was like, no, that actually might be fun. And then we just didn't manage to make it happen. So it was originally his idea. So when Hem suggested <laughs> it, it was like, okay, sure, let's give this a try. <laughs> I mean, worst case, it's an unmitigated disaster, but... <laughs> We can't yeah. promise anything but chaos, but uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it slightly on rails at least. Um, <laughs> now I saw I saw your tweet go out like, "Oh shit, uh, help!" I'm like, I might be able to help, but I I, I can't. I, uh, maybe Aethel too. Me or Mary just seems really rubbish coming back again. So, <laughs> well, I feel like uh, we can't promise anything but chaos should should almost be the tagline for your podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's just like my storytelling approach and the fact that there are characters at the table that I have no control over whatsoever. I can nudge, I can guide, I suggest that they take option A, but they'll always go for option Z and I have no idea what the hell is going on. So yes, that is very much TLD in a nutshell. Yeah, I I have two gaming groups that I'm a part of and... Like one of them, we record our sessions. We don't like we don't put them out there. We just archive them for our own refer mm. back to, yeah, uh, yeah. because we don't get to play as often as we'd like. And I just I can't imagine everything that goes into doing a real play podcast. Like I'm doing some audio drama, an audio drama that's based on a D and D campaign where the DM has converted what happened in the session to a script that we are performing. <sighs> I can't imagine doing a real play podcast. I can't imagine doing that. Um, I, I just can't. Like, I I start writing scripts and my body is just like, nope, you're not doing it. All right, okay. And uh, um, Steve, double dot, 
That's it, I'm done. I can't do anything more than that. So the idea of converting uh, uh, all the randomness of a D&D, including all the meta into something in a coherent story, uh, no way. Like, I can't imagine doing that whatsoever. You are surprisingly shit at writing, writing dialogue. Uh, yeah. That is just a fact. That is, yeah, I am no way at all offended. Improv is your shoe. Don't try to pick up that other shoe called dialogue writing. Just leave that shoe alone. No. It doesn't fit. It is not for like you. that. I can't even write like uh, like so like the big bad evils often have big monologues and speech. I can't even write those. I just have to write bullet points. I, I can't. I just can't do that shit. So yeah, the idea of someone converting a and d or any other like RPG game into a, a script like fucking hats off to you, Matt. I, I just couldn't. I'll go with the chaos. I'll let my editor deal with it. Neil's got it. <laughs> so um, I, I find it interesting you both, when you did your individual appearances, um, picked more child-friendly, family-friendly type movies. And and yet again, for today, you've, you've kind of picked in that same wheelhouse. Is that really kind of your wheelhouse? Is that where you guys prefer to stay as far as your movie consumption goes? I like um. Aliens. Every other movie is compared to Aliens. And I like Alien. Like, I love Alien. I love Aliens for two very different reasons. And they are kind of story heavy some action in it you know maybe romance but not so much like i i like those they're my movies but when i initially read your thing it was like things that influenced my childhood i'm like well i parents did not let me watch aliens as a child (laughs) (laughs) the original alien was a kind of a coming of age film in my household that you were allowed to watch that and raiders of the lost ark once you reached a certain age like my parents both really held those movies up on pedestals Deservedly so, I think. Mm-hmm. But we were not allowed to watch them until we reached a certain age. And then once you, you reached that age, it was like, okay, now you can watch this. We, I, I think I watched both of those. I, I watched Raiders. In fact, I lost, watched all of the indie ones before I was 10. Like, my parents were... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, you got, you'll love it. It's about history. And I watched it. I'm like, this is terrifying. <laughs> what is this? Why is this monkey brainy shenanigans going on? I don't... I'm not okay with this. Mom, but I uh, can the, I just you know. watch Pokemon? No, that's made by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> that's for children. You're a mature adult. Mom, I'm dead. <laughs> watch it. Okay. I don't like Pokemon uh, anymore. No, joking. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get into the movie that you guys picked today. Uh, you picked one of, one of my all-time favorite movies. First movie I ever bought on VHS. Yes, kids, there was a thing before DVDs called VHS. First movie I ever bought on VHS. One of the first movie soundtracks I ever owned. 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit, written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, based on a novel by Gary K. Wolf. And I want to make sure we talk about that novel a little later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, Joanna Cassidy, Charles Fleischer, Stubby K., Alan Tilburn, and an uncredited Kathleen Turner. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective Stay named Eddie Valiant. Ooga booga! Every moment they were together was a new adventure in trouble. Hide me, Eddie! Please! It's a motion picture about friendship. Please, Eddie! Don't tell me I'm making a big mistake! Love. <laughs> Compassion. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. <laughs> Tune. 
gets them every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. I'm a pig! I'm a tomb. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie. Is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes me, I did the attic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I was surprised on uh, on on uh, uncredited to be honest because she did a great job in this movie. Oh God, yes! I mean, she's she's like an essential part of this movie. Yeah, uh, and I had no idea she was uncredited on it. Like, uh, I mean, one one she has such an iconic voice that it's like, how did you not know that that was Kathleen Turner in the first place? <laughs> but to not well, this, credit her, is this so movie weird. this movie came out the year we were born, so I have no idea who she is outside of the fact she does a really good job in this. <laughs> okay, so you you said you liked the Indiana Jones movies. Uh-huh. Uh, she's in a, uh, a series of movies. It was two uh, with Michael Douglas. Uh, the first one's Romancing the Stone. And the second one is The Jewel of the Nile. The first one's really good. second one, eh, but... Yeah, I have seen both of those, yes. That was another parental classic in my house, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I always start with, how do you you sell this movie to someone who has not seen it? And my initial thought was, how has anybody not seen this movie? But then it dawned on me that, like... I have not shown it to my son. He's 12. You would think this would be the perfect movie for him. But because he's 12, in this day and age, he doesn't know a lot of the classic cartoon characters that appear in this. Mm -mm. So how do you sell someone on wanting to see this movie? I think you don't sell it to kids anymore. Like, we're watching the movie and it's it's got such a... It is a child of its time, and to say the least. And I, I don't think you're trying to sell it to children at this point. I think you're trying to get like young teenagers and young adults to watch it at this point. Because, uh, yeah, this movie comes out the year me and Ham are born. So um, there are like there are des- like definitely possibilities of like 30 plus year olds out there that haven't seen this movie because it just came out before they were born. Right. But my mind is always my mind always compares this movie to Space Jam, which comes out like maybe eight years later or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like a it's it's a it's Space Jam, but with a noir tinge. I guess is the the, sell, the selling point. So if, if you've seen Space Jam, you you know roughly what you're expecting, and if you know what noir is, I think you've got your like hands pretty full. Yeah, I think I would personally sell it as like, hey, you want to go into noir, but you don't want to watch those really old, really boring, unfunny movies. I'm not saying they are, but most of them are. They're very dry. This is not dry, and this is the funniest shit ever. Um, So start with this one. Also has Christopher Lloyd in it, who is unrecognisable compared to what you would most likely know him as Back to the Future. Um, Bob Hopskiss is just an amazing actor, and you should watch him. And if you want to know anything about noir, all the tropes, they're all in here. All the tropes for cartoons, they're all in here. It is a great mix between, like, a mix between animation and real-life acting. I don't really know how to separate those out properly. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's, it, that's good. It has has a lot of, like, how did they do that in there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to get to that. Uh, let me let me say the one thing I was going to say about Bob Hoskins, um, and we can definitely go down that rabbit hole. This was my introduction to Bob Hoskins, obviously, and mm-hmm. I was blown away when I saw him in, in interviews later and went, oh, he's British? Yeah. Because he is <laughs> One just... of us. One of us. Like, yeah. 
he just blew me away with the 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 gritty you know hard-nosed detective role that he plays here he just plays it and even re-watching it for this it's like oh my he's he's so good in this role mm. like he really sells that hardened drinking pi from the moment he turns up you know what you're getting just that expression the trench coat the hat the booze like you know exactly what you're getting by looking at this guy and he looks exactly like the kind of person that he is in this um and his acting in this is great like he sticks to it he sells the whole thing um and for the longest time i didn't realize who it was <laughs> until like much later when i watched or watched a different movie um, i think it's called the long good friday or something like that and i'm like oh my god that's the guy from who framed roger rabbit <laughs> I don't think that's how he wanted to be remembered. <laughs> that's how I remember him. That's the first time I saw him. Um, I, I, I think the next one that I saw him in would have been Hook, where he plays. You know, oh Smee. yeah, Shmi. And uh, you know, very different role. And it was just like, oh my god. He, and I, and I've seen him in in more serious stuff. And I'm I'm trying to remember. He he was a bad guy in like a Jet Li film. Uh, that I suddenly can't remember the name of. And it, it, I mean, he just, it was like almost everything he ever did, he really just threw himself in. Like, the, I don't, I've, I've never seen a Bob Hoskins film where it was like, oh, he phoned that in. You know, he just, he was, he was just a brilliant <laughs> actor. Yeah, he was like all in it. Like, it's all or nothing with him. He genuinely, like, uh, Hamp started bringing up, like, oh, yeah, he's in this and this uh, during the literal only somber scene in the entire movie where you get to understand that his brother like was killed uh, and he's sitting there going through photos and he just in a real quick cutaway, he's looking through the photos and he looks over at the dusty desk across him and you can see like the verge of tears, like working up in his eyes and then they cut away. It was just like, Jesus, that was surprisingly intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this movie moves a lot faster than I remembered it moving. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I kind of didn't realize it's an hour and 40 or whatever it is. Like, yeah, and he's, like, at the it. Ink and Paint Club for the Jessica Rabbit number, like, 10 minutes into the film. And I was like, I thought that came so much later. And it, watching it this time, I was like, this movie just moves. Like, it has, like, two spots where it slows down for a second. You just mentioned one of them when he's mm -hmm. when he's at his office and you have the kind of the – some of the cool headlines there about, like – they saved the nephews and uh, they got goofy off on spy charges and you get the background that their dad was a clown, literally yeah, a clown. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was great. And and possibly one of my all-time photo captions ever, two flatfoots and a floozy. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> talking about when they started the business. But you have that moment and then you have the moment later on in the film in the movie theater where he recalls mm -hmm. the actual story of his brother's death. But other than those two moments where it kind of slows down, everything else is just zipping along. Yeah. It's, it's a strange match between the genres of cartoon and like noir. Like it has the cartoon pacing and, and some of the beats in it and the humor for sure. But you also have the noir like really intricacies of like the plot and backstabbing and yeah it's yeah, just yeah. the mixture of those two is really solid and uh, two of my favorite scenes are the ones where we completely slow down um you mentioned them on in the office where they're going like oh here's him looking at the at the photographs and he starts like crying and then it cuts across it's such a clever scene and in the space of like less than 30 seconds you get basically his entire backstory just told yep. through these just images and a couple of headlines and it's the like sh the this show is don't tell i mean this movie yeah. is perfect in yes. the show don't tell yes yeah. absolutely it's it's covered in dust like and it's like he's clearly left that that means something to him and that just that whole thing oh mwah, it's beautiful Fantastic. yeah 
Yeah, one of my my one of my favorite special effect moments in the movie is when Roger pulls the chair to sit down and Eddie yells at him and he lifts his hand up and you can see his handprint through the dust and it's like and it's, it's exactly what you were talking about a minute ago. It's like how did they do that? And I I specifically tried this time to watch the movie looking for the technological achievements. Like, how did they do this? Mm -hmm. How did they do that? And you get captivated. I've I've seen this movie a dozen times. You still get so quickly absorbed into the story and the characters that it's it's almost impossible to watch this movie just for the technological achievements. Absolutely. Uh, there are uh, there are a couple of things that I like when I was watching it this time, I definitely also was looking for like, hmm, I wonder how they did this or that. There, there was one scene that absolutely baffled me and I have no idea how they did it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, when Jessica uh, like starts interacting with him when she comes off stage. Oh, yeah. She takes like, his hat pull, off. and yeah, yeah. yeah. Pulls his hat off and pulls on his shirt and you can move. See things moving around, but you can't see anybody doing anything and I can't see where the wires would be and I'm just absolutely flabbergasted by that scene but uh, almost all scenes where cartoons are interacting with a physical object the floatiness with which it moves like my brain always locked onto that like there are clearly wires moving this thing around you can see the kind of like slow like (laughs) like it's got this weightiness to it that the cartoons do not have the cartoons are so when he gets the bucket stuck on his head uh, <laughs> he gets <laughs> thrown into the back of the back of the uh the pub or oh, sorry of the of the bar's place and he has the bucket stuck on his head that one is the one that stuck up like yeah yeah you can definitely tell the words there well uh, two two reactions to that one yes there's there's one shot in this that is i can't unsee like that it's very visible how they did it which is when roger has the drink of whiskey at the bar and, you know, the whole, I, you don't, I do, you don't, you know, that, that, that whole bit. And when he throws it back, because it kind of splashes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yep. there, there's no effort to have it actually go into his mouth or anything. It just splashes everywhere. And it's like, every time I see that, it's like, oh, that's one, dis- but it's one disappointing shot in an hour and 48 minutes worth of movie. I, I genuinely just chuckled at the, like, how much went everywhere. Like, yeah. I, I didn't, I, I forgot there was supposed to be a cartoon character there. And I was just laughing at Christopher Lloyd covered in whiskey. <laughs> But the, but the flip side of that is, I, I get what you're saying about kind of the etherealness of the guns, and it definitely kind of enters into a, almost a version of the uncanny valley, you know, where your brain is going, oh, this is it. But at the same time, like, like they have the weasels carrying the guns in Eddie's apartment. Yeah. And yeah, then and the one guns. jumps up on the chair, and you're going, oh, yeah, the gun is just levitating there because somebody's, you know, being a merry, you know, you know is, is puppeteering it. But then he splashes the water at Eddie. Yeah. yeah. In the same shot. And it's like, that just feels realistic. I have a theory, and my theory is that they did a mixture of green screen wires and practical effects. So they probably at some point had someone actually just flicking the water and just drew over those frames. Um, That's my assumption is what they, how they got through most of these is like, oh, it's really easy to draw over somebody's hand if they keep their their movements very minimal and they don't make their hands too big because they can just draw a bigger cartoon hand. Um, That's my assumption for how they did a lot of this because they had access to um, like Disney. Yeah, they made a studio in Britain so that the guy mm-hmm. who was animating it was like nope i'm staying in britain and you're producing my unfinished movie and they were like all right right i love <laughs> that feeling although that was done <laughs> um yeah they used a lot of robotics um they used mm-hmm. no computer effects which isn't mm-hmm. surprising for 1988 uh because 
computer technology wasn't that advanced at that point anyway. It's not until another five or six years before computer technology really enters into the fray. Um, but they refused to do computer effects. Everything is hand animated and, and uh, uh, they used a lot of robotics and puppetry and, and yeah, green screen effects and that kind of stuff to pull it off. And it's, and it's so well done. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. as I said, even trying, trying this time to watch it with those in mind, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. There, there's one scene which, like, in my memory, I had like I, I didn't even remember the scene. It's when they they go to um, the first crime scene, the first murder scene, and Yosemite Sam comes flying over the wall and his butt sits on fire. Right, and he sits down in a puddle, and there's so much drawing, there's so much animated smoke. But I was staring at it, and they for some reason had something in the water that made a splash everywhere. Yeah. You can barely fucking see it because of the amount of animation. But they they went the extra mile. <laughs> like this is the shot we're using. Yeah. They uh, and and there's legitimate steam coming off of that puddle as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's hand drawn, but there's also real steam coming off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right. they, they went the extra mile. So this movie comes out the year that you were born. So uh, you weren't like me, where I like I wanted to go see this in the theater. I have a very fond memory of going to see this at the movie theater. Um, so how did how did you guys come across it? In you know what, what what's your history with this film? It was on TV. Um, my parents, my dad is, a. Uh, my dad loves that kind of Looney Tunes cartoon stuff. Uh, whenever they were on, I was watching it and I'm doing inverted commas here. Um, my dad wanted to watch that kind of stupid shit. Um, so <laughs> this was, this had cartoons in it, had cartoons doing stupid shit. So it was on TV. Um, it was the, the TV channel that had the adverts in it. That's pretty much what I remember because they would not show this on the BBC. Um, so yeah, like I, I just watched it on TV with my parents. I have no idea how old I was, but there are some things I very much remembered. I very much remembered uh, the Jessica Rabbit scene. Um, yeah. That may have been a precursor to some things I now like as an adult. Um, and um, <laughs> I was terrified of the Christopher Lloyd scene where he gets destroyed by the steamroller. That made me very unhappy as a child. And then he gets dipped. I'm like, oh, I don't like this at all. It was terrifying. <laughs> Those are my two solid memories of this movie. <laughs> Probably the best like in-universe excuse to double dip on killing your ba- main bad guy is that plot twist. It- it's such a yes. like, yeah, you got to kill him twice. That's how fucking like that's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, either what's your uh, history with this one? Oh, uh, so. <sighs> Weirdly enough, so when I was younger, we had a big old box of VHSs. They were all custom made. They were all homemade, blah, 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 like recorded off TV, blah, blah. And it went from one to 50, if I remember correct. They were all marked. And I would randomly pick them and try to watch them. And a lot of them were home videos. But every now and then, I'd find a gem. And I found uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Roger Rabbit on one of them. So I'd plop it in the TV and just start like sipping through it, trying to find something because it was all recorded long play. So you had like eight hours of uh, material on the VHS. And then I found Roger Rabbit and I made sure to get out the book that was supposed to say what was it and everything, but everything had been re-recorded since it was made and made sure to mark that as like, a, like take me mint in my childish uh, writing, which means cartoon in Icelandic. <laughs> and I I remember this so I watched we watched this a lot. Uh, as a kid, I was very simple minded, and I'd watch the same thing over and over and over again. As kids even do, into my, yeah. even into my late teens, dude. It's it's not it's not uh, flattering. Um, and I still remember exactly uh, the movie started. The movie started in. Um, 
like the movie real scene where the at uh, the beginning of the movie where he's like going through movie scenes and he's telling the guy how to like oh and make sure he drops the piano at this scene or blah blah blah. That's where the recording that I had started. It skipped over the entire opening. Oh. And then there was a crease in the VHS exactly at the, what's it called? The hamburgers and handshakes, two pence, whatever the fuck it was. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, um. Shaving a hair, haircut, two pence. Uh, when he does the first, the VHS uh, like corrupted and you couldn't see anything. And then it uncorrupted itself just as Dr. Roger Judge. Doom. Judge Doom uh, was grabbing Roger by the neck and lifting him up. I, re- I remember these so well. And I remember watching these movies, like this movie entirety out at sea when I'm like in my like 20s, watching the entire opening scene. And I'm like, fuck, I got like, I, I got like robbed of this scene as a kid. <laughs> and then the haircut and the shave scene, I'm like, I don't get it. I... <laughs> What is this payoff? I don't understand this joke. I understood so much as an adult that I didn't as a kid. I like, like, there's so many like the patty cake jokes. There's like Jessica <laughs> Rabbit being like overly sexual as a kid. I was just like, oh, that's a character. Like, I I didn't understand shit. So as an adult, I'm getting all of these subtexts, but that one, nope, I have no idea, and I still don't. I still think <laughs> it's just a. This was a joke at some point. This was a meme at some point. <laughs> and this meme is now lost. And there's a movie about it. <laughs> yeah, one of the jokes that I, I, I love now and I didn't I, I didn't understand the first time that I watched it, I guess because my attention span uh, as a teen was so was so short, um, is the when he gets hit by the bricks. Uh, mm-hmm. later on in the film and he comes up and has the you know look stars ready when you are Raul and I didn't yep. get that joke and then suddenly one one viewing it connected it's like oh that's a callback to the very beginning of the movie when he couldn't get stars yep. which wouldn't have meant movie. anything to you if you didn't get that anime that scene at the beginning <sighs> <laughs> so let, I guess let me ask this because both of you found this movie accidentally if you just were watching it on tv and you were randomly picking from a box of videotapes then this isn't something you sought out so why has this movie stuck with you like why is this a a a, a strong movie for you i love noir (laughs) and i don't know why it might be this movie i don't know why i love the tropes that are in here and i am I love the I'm like I'm not massively into slapstick stuff, but the slapstick comedy in this to cartoons is just so funny. Mm-hmm. Um and the beats and the timing of it and it's definitely a product of like it's it's child and I watched it very young as well, it's a product of its time too. And it's just that snapshot of all of that and it's just stuck with me, just like the random twists and turns that the plot has, the fact that it's breakneck speed all the time. Um and Jessica Rabbit. I I'm not gonna lie. That's that's a <laughs> And the, the more that I've grown up, the more I realize, holy shit, is she a reflection and a, like a proper like F you onto the whole like Hollywood expectations shit. Like, yeah, as an adult, I now appreciate what is trying to be said by this character. As a kid, I'm like, oh, she looks cute. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it really interesting. I, I followed this up with um, Chinatown. Because there are beats and and story beats and, and such that from this movie. They're very borrowed from Chinatown. And mm. China, Chinatown is one of those movies that I've had on my list forever. I, I had not seen. I knew a lot of the plot. And 
I almost found myself a little bored with Chinatown. It's a brilliant movie. Don't get me wrong. Don't come at me. <laughs> but I almost <laughs> found myself a little bored at its pacing, especially after watching this. <laughs> because you're right. Film noir is can be very slow and methodical as opposed to this, which is just rapid pace, that, that cartoon pacing that you kind of talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, like noir has like very specific beats, especially it came from a very specific like mm, like time, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, everything was much slower in movies, at least compared to today. And like the twists, you know, they were very well hidden back in today. Whereas in this, they were almost like very obvious, and it was well set up from the start. Like, oh, he looks across from his place or next door, wherever it is, and there is Cloverleaf. They're doing their thing. Yeah, his first situation when he leaves Maroon Cartoons, which is where we first find him, is trying to get a ride on the, the trolley. And the kid's asking him, you know, well, why, why don't, don't you have a car? And he says, you know, who needs a car in L.A.? We got the best public transportation system in the world. And it just feels <laughs> like, oh, it's just throwing in building this Hollywood 1947 world. And no, that's actually central to the plot. It's a plot. It's a plot point. I was like, oh my god, I've forgotten this was a plot point. Right? But that's that's that scene when he jumps on the back of the of, of the of the tram. Like Ethan and I talk about it at the time, it really paints him as part of this town. Right. Yeah. Like he knows the little in and ins and outs. He knows the little t- like tips and tricks. So like he tried to pay first. He's like, I, I only have fifty dollars. The guy's like, Well, I look like a bank to you. Scrap. Right. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm sitting on the back of the bo- uh, tram. Like Like, there's no moment where he's, like, confused or insured. I love that scene. And that scene is also followed by the moment where I realized, oh, we're going to have to make sure our roommate is awake before we watch this. Because I fucking exploded when he got off the tram. The kids are like, goodbye, mister, goodbye. And he's like, yeah, thanks for the six. And then just walks in with cigarettes. Oh, I did not see that coming. That, like, little joke just killed me. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'd remembered the baby with a cigar and the stogie. I'd remembered that. I'd forgotten the kids and the cigarettes. I'm like, oh, no, is this a lot more in here than I remember? (laughs) And it's okay when it's an animated baby, but the kids giving him cigarettes, the live action kids, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It it caught you off guard. It genuinely got like a belly laugh out of me. Fuck me. I did not see that coming. Well, and him jumping on the back of the trolley is like... It's not only a plot point, but it's it's in, integral to the character. Like it's really developing his character, which is he's going to find a way, and he's not he's not flush with cash. The next scene has him going to the bar, and mm-hmm. you know showing Dolores, I've got the money, and oh, can I borrow your camera? Mine's in the shop, <laughs> and it's like he has enough money for booze, but to <laughs> ride the trolley or to have a car or to have a camera, you know, the, some of the tools that he might need for his job. No, yeah. that he doesn't have those, but that's important to his character. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought the the bar scene was fantastic too. That was the second like like the the fact that we paused to make sure our roommate was awake <laughs> and like everything was fine was good because that scene is then followed with the um, scene where he harasses the minor looking guy, the guy who looks like he's coming from like a mine, but I guess yeah, it's Angelo, from, uh, probably from an automobile shop. And he's like, uh, like teasing him about working for cartoons or, or tunes as they call them. Right. And he fucks him up and then walks out and he's like, what's his problem? And the lady comes into the frame. His brother was killed by a tune. And everybody, everybody turns and looks. Oh, his brother was killed by a tune. Everybody stops what they're doing and turns and looks. And then the punchline of dropped a piano on his head and everybody turns back to their drinks because it's like, oh, 
that's whatever. That's normal. <laughs> it was such a, like a fucking turn to camera moment and <laughs> such a noir like delivery as well. Like it was beautiful. Like props to the actress on that. That was that was played seriously, but also so funny. Oh yeah, and I I think that's. One of the things that, again, it, along with the technological achievements, it's very easy to lose focus on the amazing job that the live action actors are doing. Because, yeah. like, for me as a teenager, it was like, oh, there's Bugs Bunny. Oh, there's, you know, Mickey Mouse. Oh, there's Goofy. Oh, there's Droopy. And I was focused on that. And it's it's very easy to lose sight of these actors were acting against nothing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they didn't... I, so I did, I did a tiny bit of research into that. They actually did have people on set in, like basic costumes they were just behind the camera no so, like they, they weren't had... acting to no one but they were acting at someone and they used props so they could learn where to look but they always had like the other lines delivered by someone roughly in costume roughly near the camera well the roughly in costume is kind of it's it's an interesting <laughs> story um what they would do is they would run the they would block the scene with uh, dolls. So the, they had mm-hmm. a doll of Roger Rabbit that was about the size of he was. So that way, Bob Hoskins or uh, Joanna Cassie or whoever knew where their eyes eye line needed to be. And and so they would block the scene with the puppets, and then they would film it without the puppets. They did have the voice actors there to provide the lines from off camera. And Charles Fleischer, who voices Roger and Benny and some of the other characters, mm-hmm. Charles Fleischer insisted on having a Roger Rabbit costume. That was not something that Robert Zemeckis did. That was Charles Fleischer just being fucking weird. (laughs) And he would be off camera delivering the lines as Roger Rabbit, dressed as Roger Rabbit. And one of the amusing stories about that was the the when they would take a break in filming for lunch and they would go to the commissary, people would see Fleischer in the Roger Rabbit costume and comment on what a piece of shit that Roger Rabbit movie looked like it was going to be. Because they were seeing that's what they thought the rabbit was going to be. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But, oh. but when they're so they, they practice it with something in their sight lines that they know what to do. But when they're delivering, when they're recording the actual thing, they're they're delivering to nothing. Yes, they've got the lines yeah, being air, read off. Yeah. But I mean, Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd and Joanna Cassidy, you know, just do a phenomenal job of acting to air in, a, in yeah. such a convincing manner. And this kind of movie has been done very poorly. Like you mentioned <laughs> Space Jam. That's done well. I don't think it's done on this level of well, no. but it's done no. well. But then you have like a cool world. Have either of you seen Cool World? I am googling it right now. It's, I might have done. It's horrendous. Done. And they first of all they wanted to make it rated R, so there's like plot line about having sex with a tune. Uh, it's yeah. Brad Pitt is in it, Kim Basinger. Yeah, um, I remember that movie. That was it's bad. Awful. <laughs> what? It is such a bad movie. And it's evidence that this can be done poorly, which just makes Roger Rabbit look all the better for having pulled it off fantastically. I, I absolutely loved just uh, like it, it just passed through my head as I was looking at Cool World, uh, like in 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 Roger Rabbit, when the cartoons are in the real world, they seem to use a lot more like muted colors. I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that if you compare the opening scene with the baby and Roger with when he walks off scene, you can see the like shadows of everything kind of dull all of the colors. I think I might not be making this up, but I, no, I, I don't like, think that, you are. that was in my head. Like, 
oh, I like that. I like that when we're in the real world, like the shadows of the real world really bring down the characters like uh, overblown colors. Well, and they're not on set. Like if he was on set, you know, they'd be properly lit and that kind of yeah, stuff. So that yeah. helps bring out the colors, which, by the way, if this was true, this was my first note that I wrote down watching on this rewatch. If this was true, if tunes were real and they filmed their things instead of cartoons being animated, <laughs> Roger just takes so much abuse. <laughs> I like at the end of it, it's like, I could do it again. I could take it. <laughs> yeah. Drop it on, drop the refrigerator on my head another time. I, I'm not worried about your head. I'm worried about the refrigerator. <laughs> That's fantastic. The, 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 if this were real thing, like, I have so many troubles with the internal consistency of this world in right. like dumb, weird ways. For instance, like Roger Rabbit has a, has a, a, a fritz dropped on his head and when they open the fritz there are birds flying around right and they're like oh, birds i told you stars and he starts like swatting the birds away and you see the birds leave the scene right so the question is like there are two options now either roger rabbit made those birds or those birds were hired and the stage director did not realize it <laughs> and that's the part where my brain just goes like where do these birds come from? Because if, if, uh, and then later in the movie, you see the, the, the infamous dip, which is what is the only thing that can kill tunes. And a random shoe is picked up and murdered in front yes. of everybody. Mm. Yes. And my brain's like, okay, so are the shoes on the same level as these birds? They are like side creations of tunes just existing. And they have no rights or rules as creatures. Like, that's, that's where my brain breaks down trying to hold the internal consistency of this world. I, I bet you're a lot of fun watching Cars with, aren't you? Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is that movie is so problematic in that world, in that, that idea. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, where do the tunes come from? Were they created by somebody? Or are they just born and come in? Like, that's, that's a great question. It's, well, I it's think stuff Jessica this Rabbit address. has that beautifully perfect line, which is, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I was just drawn that way. Right. Yep. I was like... Were then they who, drawn then? Right, <laughs> who, who did drew this? You? Who drew the shoe that can't talk? Why would you do that to a creature? And see, that almost seems like the perfect <laughs> opportunity for an additional gag because they, you know, Warner Brothers had uh, the Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck cartoon where the off-screen animator is messing with them and it turns out that it's Bugs. So that would have been a perfect <laughs> another gag to throw in. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. Have you guys read the source novel for this? It's not called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's called Who Censored Roger Censored, Rabbit. And yeah. after Disney picked this up, they made the novel very challenging to find. I did not know this. <laughs> please, please. Uh, so um, It's been ages since I've read it. Because, I again, this came out in 88. I probably read the novel around 90 or 91. Um, I have seen it since then and and not picked it back up, but it is a completely different story. It is it is very much more mature. Uh, it actually kind of addresses one of the concerns you just brought up, which is um, the tunes are able to create doppelgangers of themselves, and that's who does the stunts. So like when Roger's hands go in the electrical socket 
and he's fried, that wouldn't have been Roger. That would have been his doppelganger, and it probably and it would have died. But it was only designed. Doppelgangers can only be created for brief periods of time. Um, there's no Judge Doom. I mean, there's a lot of it that doesn't adapt to the film. And and therefore the ending is completely different. The the uh, that that as far as who killed R.K. Maroon because that plot line is is still part of it. It's still a who done it murder mystery with tunes, but it, it it is very different in a lot of ways as well. I did, I did not know this was uh, based on a book. When you guys were like jiving about that earlier, I was like, I don't even know this, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who censored Roger Rabbit? It's worth a look. I mean, it's especially if you like reading and you like this world, it's kind of interesting to see what the original take on it was. Yeah, sounds good. Now, on the same note, there were for many years talks of doing a sequel to this. And in mm. fact, they did a comic book version sequel, which doing a comic book is kind of hard because it you then it's very different. It's very difficult to delineate between who's a cartoon and who's real life. Mm-hmm. But they did a comic book exploring who judge doom was um would you like to see a sequel to this movie because every couple of years it's tossed back out as far as like should we do a sequel to this i i would not want to see a sequel not at all no like there there are definitely questions uh definitely all about doom and what the fuck was going on with that what was what was the plan with that doom are you serious um like, there is that whole thing. I definitely want to know more about Valiant and Valiant, those early days after coming right. off of what they were doing. I want to know all about that, but I don't think I'd want to see those as movies. I think that they would they would have the I am a sequel problem of uh, you are not Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I'm here because I want Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but what I'm looking at is not that. And I would it would always be tainted by the original, I think, for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, after seeing trailers to Space Jam, I'm happy with leaving uh, Frank Robert Rapid as as a, as its own thing. No, uh, there there was a brief moment in time where Hollywood hadn't lost its mind with sequelitis, and mm-hmm. now every single like sequel is always worse than the original. I don't know what it is about the movie making process that means that when you make a sequel, you have to round off all the corners and nothing's allowed to be rough or interesting or or personable anymore it all has to be accommodating and applicable to every single person in every single scenario and every single country and every single uh, continent on every single planet and every single solar system like nothing's allowed to be fun anymore and i'm just like no no i i like this movie as this yeah i i, I we're not going to get into the critical reviews um because we're, we're having too much fun talking but one of them the negative <laughs> review i mean it sits at 97 percent at rotten tomatoes it's it, people loved this movie but as there was a should. negative review and the negative review referred to it as a toontown tron and the only reason i bring that up is because tron is one of those movies where i think the sequel did improve upon it like if you go back and like i love tron but if you watch it it's boring in places Oh yeah, um, and if you watch Tron Legacy, it's pretty well paced. It's pretty even. There's, it's got some problems. The young, the young Jeff Bridges does not work, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a better story than the original movie. But I think that's because the original movie had had some flaws, and in this case, Roger Rabbit doesn't have flaws. So I think a sequel, and and we've moved ahead in in technology. Would a computer you know, with, with the help of computers, it would take away some of the charm of this film, knowing that it was hand animated. 
they would always do the thing that they're doing with fucking Space Jam. They're going to start using 3D animation right. and they're going to say, oh, it is. it looks, nobody's going to notice the difference. I noticed the fucking difference. <laughs> I, can see, I can see the difference between 30 frames per second and 60 frames per second and 24 frames per second. And it bugs me. And you, you fuckers. <laughs> you fuckers. Why do you not just tune down the fucking frame rates? It's infuriating. Here's you getting all angry and super emotional about it. Like, I can't tell. I can't tell any difference. Like, I I just can't. Like, I don't have the eyesight for that shit. I look at it and go, oh, that looks cool. It's laggy shit. Like, it looks like a cartoon to me. Me, What do you want? That does mean that I don't have to upgrade your computer anytime soon. You're not going to notice when you're playing 15 frames per second. I have no idea. Well, I'm glad Uh, to see you're passive on this subject. (laughs) (laughs) We're such chill guests. You're welcome. Um, the other question that, that I wanted to bring in from the critical reviews was uh, Ebert asked whether this was a movie for kids or adults or both. And to some degree, you answered this in your introduction as far as like, how would you sell people on this movie? You don't seem to think this is a movie for kids anymore. No, I, I think we've there are certain like they're very blasé about a couple of things. And there are a couple of terms and attitudes that are just gone and I don't think you should be like adding those attitudes to kids' repertoire. Like kids, kids don't need to know the word toots. It's a fine, yeah, or floozy. It's a fine word for sixteen-year-olds to like joke, like pretend to be gangsters to each other. But like twelve-year-olds don't need that word in their, their vocabulary. There's just a bunch of things that we've moved past, I think. And it's okay. a fantastic movie to watch as an adult with a critical eye. But it's not something I do as an introductionary material for children. But that's yeah, that's I, me. I don't have kids. I, what do I know? <laughs> I, I have to one agree we don't have kids and two yes I agree the language in this I'm is glad very... you agreed that you don't have kids because this would have been a very awkward conversation if you suddenly revealed to him that he was wrong yeah you're Wait, wrong you mean that surprise short person that doesn't pay rent that's my kid <laughs> yeah so the housemate we have surprise um, no um... <laughs> so so like uh, I, I noted in here like has it has a very stylistic language like the language is of it's like that kind of like it's gangsters it's got that 19 like 20s 1930s 1940s feel to it like it used to word cacked to kill someone and i thought that's yes. the funniest shit i haven't heard that in a long time yeah they call people like toots and floozy um there is the attitude of the baby of slapping his assistant's butt when she goes to do something i'm like I, th- I would like to think we've moved past that, please. And yeah, and there's a lot of jokes I, I don't know, in there the that move, just the, the Me Too movement a couple of years ago would tell you we hadn't. Now, hopefully, maybe <laughs> since then we have. But yeah, we. Oh, I'll rephrase that. I feel like we should move past that and no <laughs> longer be showing screen, that. Green, we had moved past that. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to move past. This is not okay, people. Um, so yeah, there are just some things about it, and I think some of the, the jokes and uh, are kind of dating. Yeah, if you don't know some of these characters, you don't know some of the the, the um, what? No, I keep saying Warner Brother, and that's not the mouse. Um, Walt Disney. Um, Mickey, like, yeah. Yeah, like Walt Disney. Like there are just some of those cartoons that just aren't as much around especially the way that they're presented here are not the same as they are presented like today. Um, Betty Boop, for example, black and white. Perfect Which is example. one of my favorite Would jokes. Not in the understand movie. that. Yeah. One, one of my favorite <laughs> like jokes, that. she couldn't make the transition to color. Nope. That's a great <laughs> That's fucking so joke. Good. 
There are some really good like cartoon um, like uh, meta jokes in there. Like we were watching it, though. You were chatting about the piano scene. Oh yeah. Um, so in the piano scene, when Donald Duck and uh, and Daffy Duck are playing the pianos, they're playing a certain song, a very yes. specific song. Uh, that song, I believe, there's a Bucks Bunny version of it and yes. a Tom and Jerry version of it. And um, I don't know who the two companies that own those. Clearly, Disney and somebody else. Uh, I, I don't know who Warner the other Brothers. ones are. Warner Brothers. Yeah. They came to blows over this uh, legally, and they were basically like, "You stole our idea," and the other ones are going, "No, you stole our idea." And once all the papers were on the the table, it was proven that they were both separately and independently working on these ideas with less than a month apart, right. with no interaction. Nobody could find any, and like, and it was like, yeah, the idea was pitched a month earlier one side, but the idea was animated a month earlier other side. So it's like, who stole what, where, who was being influenced? There's no proof of anything. And my brain thought that maybe that scene was a reference to that lawsuit because they're like, oh, yeah, remember when we tried to sue each other because we both had the same idea? <laughs> <laughs> now, now I was going to ask you about the piano scene. What does Donald Duck say? Uh, we watch with sub- subtitles, so... Um... It, I think the subtitles say he says, uh, doggone stubborn nitwit is in, in the subtitles. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's what it said. Yes. Yeah, and I, I like I had to look this up because I was like, that is not what he's saying. But a- that is not like I had to disconnect according to between... Snopes. That is what he's saying. <laughs> like I, I had to disconnect before between what we were listening to and what was coming up on our subtitles. But our subtitles weren't one hundred percent accurate anyway, so I just passed it off as one of those things. Right. So. Right. I never understand Donald Duck, so like uh, <laughs> it, it's that like like the same as if you go to Scotland and try to talk to somebody, you do not understand them when their accents gets heavy enough. That's me with like Donald Duck. I have no idea. I never get anything he's supposed to be saying. None of it, zero. I genuinely, genuinely into my 30s thought he wasn't talking a real language. He was just making like quacking sounds and people were going like, <laughs> Donald Duck. <laughs> So that's an, I guess, an American thing that we just understand him to some degree. I mean, he's he's challenging to understand, but I never thought about I, how that would be how that would uh, play overseas. I believe Ham understands him to somewhat. Yep. Okay. So yeah, you English speaking folks may like if you're native to English, you might be able to pick up like the broken English he's talking. But <laughs> nope, I, I still don't understand him. Okay. Um, my last observation. I'm going to ask you guys what else you want to make sure we hit upon. Um, my last observation, and I had never noticed that until this viewing, was Eddie never gets to kiss Dolores. Every oh. time he goes to kiss her, he's interrupted. And when he goes in for the final kiss uh, is where he ends up kissing Roger. So his his relationship, his romance, uh, his final kiss isn't even with his lady, which I just find an interesting commentary. I uh, I never noticed that or not even like thought about that. It's just it's a, like a old trope. I don't even think about it anymore. Uh, the idea that the main character has to kiss the main uh, female character. It's just such a like a bygone age idea that I just <laughs> didn't even pick up on the fact that that was a running joke, I guess. Well, I did. They are in a romance. And I, I don't think I yeah. keyed in as closely to that before. But she he, like... He says to her in the movie theater, you need to find yourself a good guy. And she says, I have a good guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there are great scenes. There are great interactions between them. The The scene when he's like going through the old photos and he's seeing them having fun in whatever country they Catalina. said. They were. Yeah, like that, that's a fantastic scene. And it shows like a very 
deep appreciative uh, relationship between the two of them. I, yeah. I agree with you 100%. I just did not pick up on the the kissing joke. All right. <laughs> what do you want to make sure we talk about with this movie that we haven't gotten to? And we'll start with you, Ham. I like and love the fact that Roger and Jessica have a most beautiful love. Despite the evidence presented to him, Roger's like, F no, she was forced to do this. She would never betray me. Their love is very pure. And even at the very end, when they're stuck on, like, hanging on the hook and they're getting sprayed down, like, she's still professing love and how happy she is that, like, the last moment to be together. And my favourite line from her about their relationship um, is when um, Eddie turns to her and goes, why are you with that guy? He makes me laugh. Like, yes, that's it. Like, this is all you need. This is yep. one advice for anyone in any relationship, regardless of anything else. Just make each other happy. And that's what they do. And I love that. Um, and I, I like the kind of parallels between the two relationships as you go along. You see Eddie and Dolores. You see, like, a lot of, like... Um, when he's looking at photographs Roger is also looking at photographs like they're looking at that together and then they bond a bit later and they get together with their partners and they look after each other like I like that I appreciate them more as an adult that that was it really okay all right (laughs) I like the fact that when uh main character who's Eddie when Eddie goes to Toontown he crashes into a pile of Acme's overused uh jokes (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then a little bit later, Jessica and him are running down the street and she's like, I parked my car around the corner. And her car has already also been crashed into an Acme overused jo- pile of junk. And I thought that was a very funny joke that both of them did the exact same thing. It's well, funny. and it's it's those little details that they stuck in, like at the beginning of the movie when Eddie is leaving uh, RK Maroon's office and he's walking through the studio and there's a line. The actors are lined up f- auditioning for a part mm-hmm. and the sign says cattle call. And they're mostly yeah. cows, and it's like yeah. because because mass auditions are referred to as cattle calls, or the the for a good cut time call Alice in Wonderland in the background on the bathroom before Eddie uh, falls to the you know it's those little details that really entertain me in this movie. There was um, yeah. uh, talking about the cattle call scene. I, I I was very impressed that during the cattle call scene you could see the old, different uh, variations of animation in the cows. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of the movie does not do a lot with that. And I think it might be because there isn't such a history of animation at that point. You basically have Hanna-Barbera garbage and then you have Disney and Disney hadn't varied a lot at that point. So it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, like, I guess you didn't have a lot to pull from. You you can see great playing with different animation styles on the cartoon show Gumball's World of Adventures or something. Oh. <laughs> that, that, that show just uses all the animation styles that have ever been used, and it's a fantastic show to watch. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a fan of that one. And then my my favorite bit uh, is when he's in Toontown and the 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 man crazed lady is chasing him, and he picks up the the white line in the middle of the screen <laughs> screen uh, street and puts it onto a wall, and she runs into the wall. And he's just like gets him every time, and in that moment you're like. Oh, he used to work in Toontown. He knows the rules. He knows how to mm-hmm. get what he wants in this world. It's a right. fantastic. They don't do a lot with it, but it's fantastic little scene. Fantastic. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. All right. Let's move on to some of the end game here. Uh, a couple of games before we're done. Uh, first up, we have the algorithm says this is a list of various movies that algorithms say you will like because you like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, this is a lightning round of responses. Do you like these movies? Do you know these movies? Do you not see how they're connected? It is. Uh, kind of tying into that idea of is this a movie for kids or adults? It's a very mature <laughs> children's movie list. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So first up, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 
Yes. Yes. Seen it. Love okay. it. Right. Love it. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. No. You haven't seen Is that it? the new one with Johnny Depp? No, 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 no. No, no the no. old one, man. This is the classic, Wilder. yeah. Okay, if it's a classic, yes. 100% yes. Gene yeah, Wilder is a genius. It's a great I, movie. I wouldn't bring up the new one on my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God. Thank God. Now somebody's going to pick it. That's, that's what will happen. <laughs> um, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Saw it and cried over it as a kid. Did you really? Okay. Wait, you cried my, over that? My aunt brings it up every time. Me and my mom were sitting on the couch crying our eyes out as she and her daughter, which, who is my age, were like, this movie's not that sad, guys. Calm down. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with them. It like, it's okay. I, I kind of got bored about halfway through. The, um, when I saw it as a kid, the movie scared the hell out of me because of the opening where you can't really tell what's going on in the dark. And that scared the hell out of me when I first saw it. Was it not the amount of guns? And weren't you very happy when they traded them out for walkie-talkies? They the have fixed that back to guns, by the way. <laughs> Spielberg, Spielberg has admitted that that was a mistake. Oh, <laughs> suck it, Hollywood. You don't know shit. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Never seen it. Really? really? Wait, no, wait. Sorry, I was saying The Nightmare on Elm Street. No, yes. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it and I find it highly overrated. Sorry. Wow. Uh, I, I I don't get it. It's just not my my cup of tea. Okay. I'm kind of with Aetho on that. Like it's it's okay. Uh it's alright. Uh some of the tunes in it are bangers. Uh the thing yeah. I appreciate most about it is not actually the movie, it's the song I Miss You by Blink One Eight Two. If you listen to them opening that song, it basically describes the nightmare before Christmas, the relationship between Jack and Sally. I'm writing this down. <laughs> Check it out and then think about it. And you'll be like, I see it. That's I don't think that was intentional, by the way. That might be me reading way too much into it, but <laughs> now I'm with Aether. I'm like, I'm not a huge fan of that movie. I'll watch it if it's on. Like, yeah, this is kinda cool. And the yeah. songs are kinda cool, but like, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh okay. Uh Casper. The Oh Jesus, the nineteen ninety five movie? Yes. Oh no, I've seen that. That's atrocious. It's so bad. <laughs> it's hilarious. What's wrong with you? No, that's one of the few VHSs I had in my house, and it's I genuinely regret owning it because, uh, like I said before, I watched everything a hundred times, and that movie bugged me every time I watched it. The three uncles are the funniest. When I first saw it, I cried. So. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, the ending scene where the dad doesn't really realize he's dead, and yeah. the daughter's super upset. Yes, that seems intense. <laughs> So you cried at E.T., but not <laughs> Casper. I probably cried at that scene for the first time as a kid, yes. I probably didn't cry during the scene where Casper gets turned into an egg. Oh, that was funny. Uh, all funny. right, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Unfortunately, yes, I've seen that. And I, I know it has it problems, but I love that movie. It's so funny. Okay. The never-ending story. No. Never You've saw not it from seen beginning it? to end. But I remember liking it when I saw little bits of it. Oh, okay. I, I watched it. I don't like it. Oh, you so you have seen it, but you don't like it. Yeah, I, I don't enjoy it. Like I never enjoyed it. It was consistently on around Christmas time, whatever it was, and every time it came on, I found an excuse to do my homework. Like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> interesting. I to me, it coming up on this list is interesting because it's another one of those movies based on a novel where the novel is very different. Mm. So, uh, okay, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Not seen it. 
That's that's an American thing. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, Howard the Duck. Never seen it. Oh, the live action movie. Yes. I only saw it as a gag, like 2018 <laughs> or something like that. Like, I did not see that movie and go, uh-huh, this was a good idea. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement for me not to check it out. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's bad. I mean, it's it's got some charm to it, but it's bad. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Return to Oz. Never oh, the second? It? Yes. The one where, like, everything's super down? Yes. I've seen that movie. I, I, Did yeah, I kind of want to watch it again just because I, I remember it being like super intense. It's dark. <laughs> ah. It's, it's, it's another one of those that you look at and go, was this for kids or for adults? Cause it misses both <laughs> audiences very well. <laughs> There's like a scene where they're like walking through like a hole and they're full of like headless mannequin ladies that were supposed to be alive at some point. Mm. It's just so haunting and weird. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to watch that, Ham. We, we grow some really dark kid stuff in the UK. So, like, I'm all on board for this. Like, yes, let's do it. Let's watch okay. it. All right. All right. We always end with a pop quiz, uh, multiple choice <gasps> questions based on the movie. We're going to make this a little competitive. Okay. Uh, number one, many of the effects in the movie are invisible, especially as the audience is absorbed by the story. This led to the coining of a term for going the extra mile on an effect, even though the audience might not notice it. What is that term? A, bumping the lamp, B, crashing the plate, C, splashing the water, or D, sliding the pole? I'm just going to uh, Splashing the water. <laughs> sliding the pole, I'm going to go with. Uh, no, it's uh, it's bumping the lamp. Really? It's So it's the idea of the animators are putting this extra mile. The audience may never even notice the effect yeah. happens. And I think that adds to a lot of what we talked about earlier on, about the, the trying to notice the technological achievements is almost impossible because there's so many. I think that's also kind of what draws you into the world, to be yeah, fair, exactly. is that everything is gone that, what was it, bumping the lamp? Everything has bumped the lamp in this one that you're yeah. never going to... This is why it's so good. You forget it's there. It's just yeah. seamless. And and that question comes courtesy of uh, Katie Milner, who originally was going to do this movie for the show. So <laughs> she she asked me to put that question in. Uh, number two, the initial test screening of the film was a disaster, with studio head Michael Eisner wanting changes made, especially after a poor audience screening. After fighting with Eisner, what did Zemeckis change about the film? A, he removed several sexual innuendos. B, he increased the amount of animated characters. C, he rewrote the script to add Judge Doom as an antagonist. Or D, he refused to change a thing. I want to say A. I have a feeling this movie used to be raunchy. Okay. Uh, Ham, you want to take a guess? D. I have no idea. Uh, it was D. He refused to change a thing. He had final cut permission. Uh, and so the studio couldn't go over it. They wanted to be, like, apparently there was a, 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 a public screening. You have uh, a fucking test- bell over there? I do. I do. <laughs> uh, he, oh my uh, God, it's a real bell. I thought it was an SFX. Yeah, no, it's a real bell. Uh, there was a, a test screening with like 18 and 19 year olds and people were walking out and the studio was like, we need to change this. And Zemeckis said, no, I'm not changing a thing. That's fantastic. Good on him. All right, number three, it's hard to imagine because of his brilliant performance, but Bob Hoskins was not Zemeckis or Spielberg's original choice for Eddie Valiant. They went with Hoskins after they were unable to get hold of one of their first choices. Who was their I'm first pick? Busting. Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford. Uh, that was, but that wasn't who I was going after. Um, okay. Okay, the, keep going. The, the keep first, going with the question. <laughs> they went with Hoskins after they were unable to get a hold of their original choice. Who was their first pick? 
A, Bill Murray, B, Jack Nicholson, C, Joe Pantoliano, or D, Robin Williams? Hey, 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 Bill Murray. Yeah, I was going to say Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray, also Eddie Murphy, because he I didn't understand what the you bloody was... movie was, and he was like, I regret not doing this now. <laughs> yes, well, Bill Murray uh, Bill Murray is notoriously hard to get a hold of. He does yeah. not have an agent. He has a phone number that if you have a role, you're, you call and you leave a message, and if he's interested, he'll show up. And <laughs> apparently it was years later that he read that they wanted him for the part, and he didn't get it, and he let out a scream, even though he was in a public place when he was reading this article because he would have loved to have done this movie <laughs> i don't think he would have been as good uh, no no bill murray's way too um, fantastic like um mm -hmm. he's too animated this was you needed a real straight man for this yes exactly yeah you need someone who could play the role as a, a pi like drunken detective with a heavy history mm. you needed someone who could play that role right. normally exactly. um not just for comedy like mm. all right we're, we're two to one Mm -hmm. uh, moving Suck into the fourth it. question here. Uh, Judge Doom was originally intended to be a much more intimidating figure with several aspects of his character cut because of expense. What originally was not intended to be part of Doom's presence? A, seven weasels instead of five to mirror the seven dwarves. B, a pair of hyenas serving as his bailiffs. C, an animated vulture perched on his shoulder. Or D, a group of kangaroos to make up his kangaroo court. D, D, that sounds the worst one. The other ones sound amazing and I would have loved it. <laughs> uh, Vulture, fuck it, C. Uh, no, neither of those are right. He he was supposed to have seven weasels. He was supposed to have a vulture. He was supposed to have a group of kangaroos. He was not supposed to have animated hyenas as bailiffs. Ah, fudge. No. They mentioned the hyenas in a throwaway yeah. joke. Uh, yeah, that's, that's why true. I thought it couldn't be that. <laughs> that's true. I didn't even think about that when I made up that answer. Yeah. Fucker. <laughs> All right. Uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, Ham, why don't you start? Well, first of all, I need to flex because I think I won. No, yes, you did. Sorry. Yes, Ham won yes. that. Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you. You won two Thank to you. one. You, and you shouldn't have gotten two. You should have gotten one because you answered Harrison four. But I'm not going to make a deal about it. I should have gotten I'm... extra points for all those extra people I mentioned, Athel. <laughs> Oh, I did forget to mention in that question, Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano, actually was Eddie Valiant when they did test footage for this. And you can find that test footage online. Uh, it was just a demo to practice animating and seeing how they could make an, an, an animated character interact with the real world. Joey Pants is playing uh, Eddie Valiant in that little scene. Oh, that's cool well, as shit. I'm gonna I have to look that up. I think they made the right choice by changing 100%. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, All where right. You, Sorry, <laughs> where, where can people it. find you? <laughs> Sorry, I needed my moment of glory there. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, so you can find me in a bunch of places. Uh, um, let's go with Dark Dice. Um, it's an actual play podcast that has been heavily edited. It has soundscaping in it. It has orchestral 40 people choir singing in infernal Icelandic and some other made up language, I think. Um, and it's amazing. It's great. I play uh, Rowena Granite Pike, who is a dwarven bard and i sing a lot in it i'm gonna promote that because then that leaves aether with whatever the hell and the other one <laughs> you're a big old dummy for doing dark dice um you can find me mainly on the lucky die podcast which is an actual play podcast where i play the character squash a recovering drug addict who gets kind of roped into helping the main gang uh i enjoy that character highly uh i am also currently in the 
throws of re-recording a bunch of counterbalance stuff. So if you yeah. enjoy actual play, scripted audio dramas happening in a fantastic universe with more than just humans, come check out Counterbalance. You can find it in anywhere. Uh, also, and- I'm on the lucky die. <laughs> yeah, she, she is the fucking DM of the lucky die, and the fact that she didn't decide to pitch that is insanity. Um, and just because I now remembered it, I want to just make one love letter to the Who Framed Roger bit. I love that almost all the guys in that movie are like slightly podgy dad bots. I love the fact that almost all the dudes are a little bit fat. And I l- there's that scene where where he's fighting with the 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 guy who owns the cartoon company that runs Roger Rabbit's yep. cartoon, uh-huh. and the two of them are like struggling, and you're like, these are just two fat guys just bumping their bellies together. I love it. More action scenes like this. Hollywood, take note. Reality, please. We'd love it. I do. I have to admit, I do appreciate that part of the film too. It's fantastic. Uh, all right. Well, thank you two for coming on. This has not been bad having two guests. I will apologize <laughs> now for any marriage counseling that this leads to. Or, you know. <laughs> We're not that rich. <laughs> um, no, this has been a blast. And thank you for giving me the excuse to revisit this movie. Because it is, as I said, it's one of my all-time favorite films. It was the first VHS movie I bought. I, uh, it was one of the first soundtracks I bought. The soundtrack is amazing. Um, mm. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal, but uh, thank well, you. Guys thank you very much on. for having us on um, and going with this random ass idea. Thank you uh, for uh, making us watch a movie together. It was it was good times. <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank you so much. You guys should watch more movies together. Is what this is telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Peter's always been a girlfriend guy. All his dude friends just fell by the wayside. Why is it weird that I had girlfriends? Nothing, we're just saying you never really had a best friend is all. Well, who's your best friend? Your brother, Robbie. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Ham and Eothor for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.